Hello and welcome back to the Yawning Owlbear. Stay a while, let's swap some stories. Hope you all are doing well, and I apologize for the long hiatus. I've just been really busy with work, and I'm hoping I would like to get to post more as what I would like. Um, and I've said that a couple times now. Um, first, I will say, uh, hope you all are having a great holiday into this year. Uh, hope October's Halloween went by really well for you, and tomorrow is Turkey Day, so I'm looking forward to that, and currently got some pies and stuff cooking in the oven for that for tomorrow, <clears throat> as well as Christmas, got that coming up, and then there's New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, so hopefully it's been a good year for you so far, it was kind of rough for me this at the beginning of this year, and I'm hoping that 2020 will take a turnaround for the better. Um, let's see. Uh, of of late, I am now gaming again, which is good to know. Uh, my roommate Jake has running, I believe it was, the Temple of Elemental Evil. <clears throat> now, before you get all the tizzy, well, isn't it kind of on the way of metagaming that you already know what the game is and are you one of those players that goes and starts looking up the actual info on the actual module? And to answer that, yes, I am one of those players, but I assure you I don't metagame. I don't metagame whatsoever, and so far it's not going to ruin my experience with this game. Um, currently I am playing as a Mouse Guard Rogue, uh, Rogue Scout archetype, the exact running 5th edition. <clears throat> um you can easily find this. It's a homebrew race. You can easily find it on the Dicky, uh, the D and D uh, wiki. Dicky, God, I can't talk right now. The D and D wiki website, and it's a homebrew. And so far, it's actually gotten pretty good reviews. And honestly, I, I like it. Uh, playing is probably first time probably playing as a near, almost just right under an inch, two foot tall creature. <clears throat> uh, got one paladin in the party. One Warlock, who is our newest player of the group, uh, first time playing, and so far he's done rather well. Uh, of course, he's learned the hard ways of certain things, like not going into a crypt and defiling it right off the bat. Wish that came back to bite us in the ass real quick. Um, also got one other cleric, who is a dwarf, and I believe we do also have one other... Person, I don't know what they're bringing into the game as of yet. But anyway, so BX Essentials. For those of you who are not aware, the uh, Necrotic Gnome had started a Kickstarter earlier this year. That I am happy to report I was able to help fund it. The funding went well, and BX Essentials was originally five books spread out. Uh, Basically, it was a clone of the basic D&D set up to expert set. <clears throat> and one of the biggest issues and complaints was the fact that all the errata was pretty much spread out between multiple different books. And some of it was not coherently clear. Well, this fundraiser ended up fixing that problem into one large tome, uh, BX Essentials. General Fantasy Rules Tome, 
which after getting it in the mail, uh, publishing finished September, then finally shipped out this month. Uh, came in a nice little black box with the original five, plus the rules tome, and plus also cut for the donation, I uh, was able to get a copy of the leather-bound book copy of the rules tome, which so far the artwork in it is just top-notch. For those of you in the OSR community who have not seen the inside of the books, it pretty much matches up with what everything that came back in the back of the day. It meshes very well. It's very coherent, very precise, and easy to follow. Um, don't know if I'll probably ever use this in the near future, as I'm hoping sometime down the line to run another game as my other game just suddenly came to a halt. I wanted to finish uh, Ghost of Salt Marsh, but I never did get to. Um, I'm thinking about getting back into OSR, and I have my eyes set on Swords and Wizardry. Uh, but that is on the back burner for now, uh, depending on how quickly we get through this new campaign that I'm playing in. Um, but today, I have a new segment I wanted to do. Um, calling this one's Mark's Museum of Magic. This will probably be part one of hopefully future episodes that I will have. And every once in a while, I will come across online of certain homebrew made magic items some of which stand out some of which are like meh and some of which are just downright weird and with that i'm going to read about 10 of these and hopefully maybe these might give you some inspiration to use these in your campaign and if you have any future plans just let me know all right so the first item on the list is an item known as the twinkle doll this was one that I found on, and I hope I pronounced this website right, Imager, I-M-I-G-U-R. Uh, was made by one called Tavern of Trinkets. <clears throat> it is a wondrous item, and it requires attunement. Now, first thing I like to say about attunement, I understand why it is a thing, but honestly, attunement... One, it's very restrictive with 5th edition. And I think the max that you can have is about three items total. And thankfully, with Mythgarther, which if I ever do another 5th edition campaign, I would rather run that as it gives you 10. Granted, it's a little bit more bloodier and grittier, but you know that was another complaint I had with 5th edition's lack of actual lethality. Uh, let's see. So, scripture says it's an old straw-filled ragdoll with a patch above its heart. It is always comfortably warm to the touch. Um, based on the picture, and I guess this could vary depending on how you want it to look in your game, but if you've ever seen the Sack Boy from, I believe it was a Little Big Planet, this is pretty much what you would actually think of it when you see it in person. Um, it's like a little sack humanoid dude with two black buttons for eyes. A burgundy red little witch's hat with a bell tip, tipped on it. And a little red burgundy cape with a black button clasp. And of course he has a little green patch over his left heart. And uh, it says, while touching the doll, you can use an action to possess it. Your body falls into a catatonic state as your soul leaves it and enters the doll. While possessed, the doll statistics are as follows. Uh, it is a 
You retain your alignment, personality, and intelligence in wisdom scores. In combat, the doll moves on your turn. You can vacate the doll, returning to your own body as a reaction, but you may not take any other actions as the doll. If your body is dead when you attempt to return it, you die. When you vacate the doll or it drops to zero hit points while possessed, it blossoms with a low roar into an explosion of flame and is destroyed. Each creature in a 20-foot radius sphere centered on the doll must make a dexterity saving throw. It looks like a DC 13. <clears throat> I guess this was, uh, says here 8 plus your proficiency plus the ability score of whoever is using it at the time. So I guess the DC will vary. Target takes 8d6 fire damage. That's actually pretty beefy for a little object. On a failed save or have as much damage on a successful one. The fire spreads around corners and ignites flammable objects in the area that aren't being worn or carried. If the doll ignites as a result of dropping to zero hit points, your soul is forcefully exposed from it back into your body and you take 3d8 psychic damage. Wunderbar. Let's see. It's a tiny little construct. Armor class of 14. Not too bad. Hit points is two, so it's a one-shot deal. Speed is 15 feet. Strength is four. Dex is 16. Con is a base of 10. And Charisma is a one. It's immune to poison and psychic and immune to blinding, deafened, and paralyzed, petrification, and poison. Of course, poison. I already said that. And has blind sight of 30 feet. It's kind of odd for a doll that would have to have blind sight, being that you're in possession of it. But I mean, to each is I don't know. I guess that makes sense. Overall, this pretty much sounds like a little infiltrator type of doohickey that can easily be used as a mobile little. Uh, if any of you actually played like um, uh, Modern Warfare or Battlefield, when they had a little uh, remote control cars that you can just run around like a dick and just blow people up with them. That's pretty much what this little guy is. Um, but as a, I see this more being used as a last ditch effort to maybe get away while you're still alive. Cause at least it says that you possess the doll, but if your body leaves and you leave the doll, you die. At least that's how I read this. Um, yeah, no, nope. that's the first one. Let's move on to the second. Next on our list is Cloak of the Void. This is a wondrous item. Very rare, requires attunement. Normally appears as a long, rich cloak of shimmering purple fabric. When a ranged weapon attack hits you and you are wearing the cloak, you can use your reaction to make a DC 16 dexterity saving throw. If successful, the cloak appears to be a piece of distant night sky, and the ammunition used in the ranged attack passes harmlessly into the void <coughs> Excuse me, of starry sky. That is actually pretty beneficial, especially for any of you roguish types or ranger types who tend to attack from range. Cloak may also be activated separately as a standard action. When it is, the wearer may place any item smaller than the area of the cloak into the void. Storing and retrieving items in this way functions same as a bag of holding with no limit on storage space. That is actually pretty nifty. Living creatures who pass into the void will suffocate in one minute. A creature who charges into the activated cloak makes a DC 15 dexterity saving throw to avoid even passing into it. When the cloak's abilities have been activated for a total of two minutes, it ceases to function until the wearer has completed a long rest, and the item stored within the void for more than ten hours is lost forever. Well, that's kind of bunk. 
Uh, as far as the actual benefit for range combatants as a defense, yeah. I like the bag of holding portion. I don't like the fact that items are lost in the void forever after 10 hours. Still, honestly, that is a pretty nifty item. And the Cloak of the Void I found on Reddit uh, under the name of one called Pendred. And that was his creation. Or her, whichever. This next one is a homebrew for a campaign by one called Catalyst. found this one also on Reddit. It is a sword. Actually, it looks more like a dagger, but I guess you could have it either way. Called Rock Cutter. Crafted by a primordial earth elemental lord in ages past, the rock cutter tipped the balance in the ancient war between the twin gods of the dwarves, Broatan of the mountains and Stellanos of the cavernous deep. Legends say that the rock cutter is currently hidden in an enchanted cave that travels through the sunken world. You have a plus two bonus to attack and damage rolls when made with this weapon. It is considered legendary and requires attunement. Primordial Craftsmanship. The Rock Cutter is built to last an eternity. It has the Unbreakable, Compass, and Delver Minor properties. Alright, so let's take a look at what they're talking about here. Let's see, Compass. The item bearer's concentrates for one hour. He or she immediately knows which way is north. Delver, while underground, the item bearer always knows his or her depth and direction to the nearest staircase ramp or other path leading upward. And, of course, Unbreakable, when it speaks to itself, cannot be broken by normal means. Uh, terrestrial Attunement. While attuned to the Rock Cutter, you have a burrowing speed equal to your walking speed. Additionally, while you are fully burrowed, you have Tremor Sense out to 30 feet. This is actually a pretty beneficial item. At least, I think, for a dwarf, they would love to have this. Uh, while wielding the Rock Cutter, you can use your action to cast Transmute Rock, save DC 20 from it requiring no material components. Once Transmute Rock is cast through the blade, it can't be cast again until the next dawn. Yeah, this is definitely a dwarven weapon. Definitely for sure. And we get our first wand, which is by BB Tabletop on Reddit. Wand of Combustion. A three-foot-long sprig of ash with a fine, smooth handle that widens at the end. This wand can be used three times. Each time it is used, a foot of the wand burns away, and the spell it can cast changes. On the first use, you have a fireball spell. On the second use, you have a scorching ray spell. And on the third use, a burning hand spell. Well, it's three charges, and it's a one-time use item. So, well, not one-time use, but three-time use, three use item. Um... Honestly, I'd say you'd be better just using a regular wand with multiple charges of each type of spell. At least, not each type of spell, but one of each type of spell. Interesting, but nah, I think I'll pass on this one if I had to pick pick this out of an actual bunch of wands. And I wish something a little special for the monks. It's a pair of knuckle dusters called Thoughts and Prayers. It's a legendary weapon. Is a pair of twin knuckle dusters, each molded from the same type of metal, but whereas Thoughts is almost fully black in color, Prayers is almost white. Each can be used independently of the other, however, they are more powerful when used together by a single creature. 
If the weapon becomes separated either by moving 300 feet apart or by moving into different planes, any creature in possession of either item at the time of separation must make a constitution saving throw with thoughts dealing 2d10 psychic damage on a failed save or half as much on a successful. Prayers deals 2d10 radiant damage on a failed save or half as much on a successful one. If your class has special rules for making unarmed strikes, such as the monk, you are not considered armed while wearing these weapons. Each weapon gives you a plus one to unarmed strike damage rolls. If your class does not have special rules for unarmed strikes, each item functions as a simple light weapon for you, dealing bludgeoning damage equal to 1d6 plus your damage modifier. When wielding thoughts, while you are attuned to thoughts and wearing it on your hand, you receive the following benefits. You gain a plus two to wisdom saving throws. Whenever you succeed on a melee attack using thoughts, it deals an additional 1d4 psychic damage. Once per long rest while attuned, thoughts allows you to supercharge an attack by casting Staggering Smite as a bonus action. Save DC 18. Let's see what Staggering Smite. Alright, so Staggering Smite, it's a level 4 spell. Casting time is one bonus action. The range is self. Opponents, it is verbal. Duration is concentration up to one minute, and looks like it's mainly a paladin spell. And you hit a creature with a melee weapon attack during the spell's duration. Your weapon pierces both body and mind, and the attack deals an extra 4d6 psychic damage to the target. The target must make a wisdom saving throw. On a failed save, it has disadvantages on attack rolls and ability checks, and it can't take reactions until the end of its next turn. Next is prayers. While you're attuned to prayers and wearing it on your hand, you receive the following benefits. Whenever you succeed on a melee attack against a creature using prayer, you regain 1d4 hit points. Wow. That is... Uh, I would I want to say that's somewhat OP, being that it's like active healing with every hit, but nah. Anyway, whenever you succeed on a melee attack using prayer, it deals an additional 1d4 radiant damage. Once prolonged rest while attuned, prayers allows you to supercharge an attack by casting Blinding Smite as a bonus action. Save DC 18. And same as the Staggering Smite, this is also a Paladin spell. Level 3, casting time is 1 bonus action, range self, verbal components, and concentration of up to a minute. You hit a creature with a melee attack during this spell's duration. Your weapon flares with a bright light, and the attack deals an extra 3d8 radiant damage to the target. Additionally, the target must succeed on the constitution saving throw or be blinded until the spell ends. A creature blinded by the spell makes another constitution saving throw at the end of each of its turns. On a successful save, it is no longer blinded. Yeah, this is definitely a good one for a monk, no doubt about it. And when used together and attuned to both weapons, the dice used when calculating psychic and radiant damage as a result of a melee attack becomes 1d6. And make sure you declare which weapon you are attacking with before making your attack roll. And that is Thoughts and Prayers by a... If I can read the typing here by Brewski, and I got this one on Imager, same as the first one, as you know, yeah, the first one. Remember this next one, I don't have a reference of where I got this one as I randomly came across it, um, and plus the name just stuck out to me because any of you who have actually seen the Killing Joke from Monty Python's sketch, this 
pretty much immediately reminded me of it. Book of Killing Jokes. That's right, you heard that right. Book of Killing Jokes. It's a wondrous item, very rare, and requires attunement. An old weather joke book. Some of the text is humorous, but macabre. Some is jumbled and downright indecipherable. After you have read this book, and as long as you keep it on your person, your sense of humor grows dark, and unlucky misfortune gives you a certain tingling pleasure. If you roll a one on a saving throw or attack, you suspect that some cruel twist of fate has befallen you. Roll a d100 to determine the effects. On a 1 to 50%, no effect, it must just be some terrible joke. On a 51 to 75% chance, you giggle continuously as you gain advantage on your first attack per turn for one minute. After a minute, you become afflicted with one form of short-term madness. Roll on the madness table, Dungeon Master's Guide, page 259. 75 to 99% chance a state of hysterics washes over you. You see the truth, the futility of life in an uncaring world. You laugh maniacally as you become resistant to all damage for one minute. After one minute, you become affected with one form of long-term madness. DMG, page 250, 260. And on a 100% chance, your eyes open wide as something within you snaps. You become afflicted with one form of an infinite madness. <clears throat> excuse me, Indefinite Madness, page 260 in the DMG. If the next roll cast by anyone on any dice is a 1, your madness also takes a malevolent turn. Your alignment becomes chaotic evil, and the DM takes control of your character to spread havoc and murderous laughter in the world. You are fully free. <laughs> uh, that, that is choice. God, I wish I had the reference for this, but that that is choice. I would... <laughs> This next one I picked out just because of the name. And I don't have a reference one, but it's called Ring of Finger Guns. And this is the description. You lock eyes with Todd from accounting. Between the two of you is the last crawler. It glistens with a sugary glaze. Your fingers point forward and you raise your thumb. A moment passes. Todd reaches for the crawler. You drop your thumb and he's blasted across the room. You both smoke from the tip of your finger. It didn't have to end this way, Todd. We could have shared that crawler. You take a bite... Delicious. <laughs> Putting on the ring of finger guns allows you to shoot one dart of a magic missile from your fingers, dealing 1d4 plus 1 force damage to a creature within 120 feet. You can shoot a magic dart as either an action or a bonus action. The ring of finger guns contains three charges for magic darts, and those charges are regained at midnight. You must make pew pew or similar gunshot noises for the ring of gun to Oh my gosh. That is just great. <laughs> Onward to the next. This one is called the Ring of Second Chance. Ring of Second Chance typically does not exist more than once within a given campaign. When it is discovered by a player, it should be described in a similar manner to the following. A plain-looking wooden ring with no characteristic marks or engravings. It almost looks as though the carpenter who fashioned it never got around to finishing it. What it does. When worn, the ring grants the wearer a second chance at life. If a creature wearing the ring dies, its soul becomes encased in the ring and its name appears as a poorly carved engraving around the outside of the ring. When a ring containing a soul is destroyed by fire, smoke from the ring condenses into the shape of the deceased creature, forming a new body. Its soul then enters the new body. 
A creature resurrected by the ring appears in whole physical form, with full hit points, and with all conditions, curses, and other ailments removed. It has no memory of any time that passed between when it died and when it was resurrected. The ring should not be overly difficult to find. For example, it may simply be lying on a shelf amid some empty bottles in an abandoned cottage. Regardless of where it is found, it is not meant to be enticing at face value. However, if the player that discovers the ring does not take it, it gives the player a second chance. A player who has previously discovered the ring but did not take it should find the same ring magically and in a different location not long after. When this happens, the ring should be described using the same words used to describe it previously, thus giving the player a subtle hint that it is special. It should not be revealed if this is the exact same ring that was found before. The ring is always available to take once it has been discovered in a given location. A player who does not take the ring from its second location should still be able to go back and retrieve it from either location later on, unless another creature has taken it in the interrent. Once the ring has been located twice, it does not appear in any new location. Once it has been taken from one location, it is likewise gone from the other. If the wearer of the ring dies, that creature's name immediately appears as an engraving on the outside of the ring and should be described as being poor or shoddy worksmanship. An engraved ring cannot capture any more souls and is useless other than being burned, thus resurrecting the creature who died wearing it. Other players do not automatically notice when the engraving appears. To discover it, a player with a passive perception of at least 14 must come within 5 feet of the ring, or any player may discover it by explicitly inspecting the ring. If the players do not already know how to resurrect a creature who died wearing the ring, they are given the following hint. First time per day that a character with a passive perception of at least 14 and who has allied with the deceased creature comes within 5 feet of the ring, the character smells smoke. If the player does not figure out the hint, they are given a second chance to smell smoke the following day, after which this no longer occurs. And this one also too was by Brewski. Yeah, this sounds more like a, po a possible witch type deal if you ask me. I mean, this is probably the closest that you will ever get to actually becoming a lich without becoming a lich. But that that is a nifty little ring, although I don't like the fact that it just sits waiting for someone to come by and burn it. This next one is a two-parter. The Mask of Indifference and the Mask of Difference. Uh, visualize the Mask of Indifference. It looks like something that Dr. Doom would wear. And the Mask of Difference... Um, well, to be perfectly honest, it looks almost like a Renaissance masquerade mask. Anyway, so the Mask of Indifference. <laughs> Requires attunement by a creature neutral and at least one axis of alignment. In this mask is colored is carved a dull gray face with no emotion. While you wield this mask, you have advantage on saving throws against being charmed or frightened or spells from the school of enchantment. It has the following additional properties. While you wield this mask, you perfectly hide your expressions. All inside ability checks done towards you in order to determine your emotions or intentions fail automatically. For example, you can choose to not laugh for a told joke, no matter how funny it is, or to not cry for sad news. However, you become unable to express yourself. All performance and persuasion ability checks done by you fail. While you wield this mask, all the news said by you can't affect emotionally by bear its bearers. Excuse me, let me reread re that. While you wield this mask, all the news said by you can't affect emotionally its bearers. For example, you might insult another person and they won't get angry. Or say a tragic new and nobody would become sad. 
The Mask of Indifference can cast the Calm Emotion spell once per day. It decides when to cast the spell. The Mask of Indifference is a sentient, true, neutral, wondrous item with an intelligence of 14, a wisdom of 18, and a charisma of 14. Okay, now I get into the risky business. As a hearing and dark vision out to a range of 60 feet and spellcast ability modifier for spells is wisdom. The mask can speak, read, and understand common and can communicate with its wielder telepathically. Its voice is deep and echoing. While you are tuned to it, the mask of indifference also understands every language you know. The mask of indifference speaks with a dull and vague tone. It's very introvert and likes to speak the less as possible. He calls itself indifference and uses a male gender on himself. It's quiet and doesn't like problems, attention, or changes. He would rather prefer to go away from them or ignore, if possible, and dislikes the idea of being in, in danger but doesn't mind others. The mask will strongly disagree with any action which might change its current situation, if necessary, neutralizing of more changes than persuading fails. Okay, I got bad mouth that. The mask will strongly disagree with any action which might change its current situation if necessary, neutralizing the source of this change or persuading fails. Despite its dull personality, the mask misses its sister, Difference, another mask crafted at the same time by the same creator, and wants to find her as soon as possible. He also wants to know who made him and understand why he was made. He questions the purpose of its own existence. And this one was made by someone called Enderluck. And it was a concept art for Planescape, apparently. Particularly the campaign setting for Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition. Mask of Difference. Must be worn by a creature of non-neutral and any axis alignment. In this mask, it is carved a mysterious blue face. While you wield this mask, you gain advantage on charisma saving throws. In addition, while you wear this mask, you gain proficiency on performance. Your proficiency bonus is doubled for any ability check you make using performance. It has the following additional properties. While you wear this mask, you don't need to sleep and can't be forced to sleep by any means. Trying to sleep or perform a long rest requires a successful DC 15 constitution saving throw to ignore the mask chattering. The Mask of Difference can cast the cantrip Friends at Will and the spell Charm Person and suggest each one once per day. It decides when to cast spells. When it casts a spell, it does as if it were you. The Mask of Difference can cast a spell Command once per day. It decides when to cast a spell. When the mask casts a spell, it can target a number of creatures in 30 feet. The Mask of Difference is a sentient, chaotic, neutral, wondrous item with an intelligence of 14, wisdom of 14, and a charisma of 18. It has hearing and dark vision out to a range of 60 feet. Spell casting ability modifier is charisma. The Mask can speak, read, and understand common, and can communicate with its wielder telepathically, or speaking its voice in acute and piercing. While you are attuned, the Mask of Difference also understands every language you know and can speak through your own voice. The Mask of Difference speaks with an energetic and exciting tone and is very introvert, extrovert, as sometimes called a jester, and likes to speak as much as possible. She calls herself indifference, excuse me, difference, and uses a female gender on, her, on itself. It's anxious, and, it's anxious and likes fun, action, entertaining. God, this person, whoever wrote this, did not type this perfectly. 
I mean, proofread people, is anxious and likes fun, action, and entertaining activities and would rather prefer to go on an adventure at any time and dislikes any kind of boring or dull activities such as diplomacy, cooking, researching, transcribed spells, meditation, or housekeeping. The mask will strongly disagree with any activity which might be unexciting for a long time and an hour according to herself. Despite her radiant personality, the mask misses his brother, indifference, another mask crafted at the same time by the same creator, It wants to find him as soon as possible. She also wants to know who made her and understands why she was made. She questions the purpose of its own existence. So basically, a poker face and a more chaotic, outspoken mask. That That is... Uh, nifty, but I don't see you... Well, at least the mask of a difference I could see for like a rogue-type character if you don't want to get your actual expression read. That would be useful. And as far as charming people, that's the only benefit I see from the other one. Yeah, that's about it for that, too. And we're at our last one. This one is actually a concocted potion called Tail Slurp. A tail slurp is a drink that can be found throughout the seedy underbelly of larger cities and towns. Its primary component is the fermented tail of a venomous lizard, but it has a few secret ingredients thrown in from good measure. The concoction tastes horrendous and is normally consumed in a single gulp, slurping the tail down as quickly as possible without chewing. Once swallowed, the tail slurp's effects begin to appear almost instantly. When under the influence of the tail slurp, you incur the following... You receive 10 temporary hit points and gain resistance to non-magical damage. You get plus 5 feet to your base movement speed. It can take an extra attack action on your turn. You add 1d4 to all damage you deal with melee weapons, and you cannot become charmed or frightened. Your drawbacks. You have disadvantage on wisdom-based ability checks and saves. You cannot understand others when they try to communicate with you. It cannot produce any intelligible communication yourself. The normal effects of a tail slurp last for one hour. Unfortunately, sometimes you react pure, poorly to the substance in the semi-toxic mixture. Every time you drink a tail slurp, roll 1d20 to determine how the drug affects you. For a result of three or lower, you receive none of the normal effects and instead become poisoned for one hour. For the duration or until the poison condition is removed, you take 1d4 poison damage at the beginning of each of your turns. <laughs> Holy crap. All effects caused by a tail slurp can be removed with a lesser restoration spell or its equivalent. And this too was also by Brewski. Yeah, apparently this was made by somebody who got tired of hearing his players complain how they could do very little. And with that, the pies are done. I will be right back, people. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to an end of our magical items list. Hopefully I will have more of these in the near future. Uh, just to inform, I am currently also working on an ecology video uh, episode for both the Choker, a Grell, and one of my more favorite dragons, the Orange Dragon. Uh, sometime down the road, when I get my notes together, I will get those out. Um, check out Necrotic Gnomes, uh, BX Essentials Rules Tome. It's got some good stuff in there. Very well done. Was highly impressed with what they were able to accomplish with that in just a few months. Uh, another one I would recommend checking out is Dungeons and Delvers. Um, 
There's currently a Black Book edition available on Drive Through RPG. Uh, this is basically the intro version of the actual system, and they have another one currently on Kickstarter that is the Red Book, which is supposed to have expanded results. I believe it's supposed to be a, another clone-wise from the original D&D, but with some added stuff to make it less crunchy and more friendly, more so towards younger players. I don't want to say like little, little, little kid type players, but um, probably like middle school age, I would say. But anyway, looking through it, it looked great and I've got my money down on it. I can't wait for it to see it come out. <clears throat> and with that, fans, this wraps up another episode. If you see any of these trinkets that you would like to buy, please send your gold orders to the Yawning Owlbear located in Waterdeep. I'm right across from the Yawning Portal. You know, that one store that's overpriced in their drinks, their beds are less clean, and there's a huge gaping hole in their floor that, you know, on occasion I've been told uh, things like to come out and assault their patrons. Yeah, don't go to them. Just come to me. You don't need any of that. And with that, fans... Keep the mugs full. Keep the stores coming. Take it easy, guys. Love you. Catch you on the flip side.